Well, good morning once again. Last week, we talked about one of the greatest commodities that we have as believers, especially as we consider living amidst difficult times, and that is our church family. And uh, I hope that you've taken time to consider or to reconsider your relationships with your church family. Um, I've said this many times over the years. Um, I'm so grateful and thankful for my church family. Um, My early years, as I said, I tried my hardest to find a church to pastor that was someplace in the vicinity of where I had blood relatives. And uh, I got to the point where I didn't even care which relatives they were. I just wanted to be by some family. And uh, no matter how hard I tried, I just, you know, God just didn't open those doors. And uh, so we kind of gave up on that hope years and years ago. But as a result of that, my church family really has become my family. I'm so thankful that I have a church family that, uh, you know, loves us, that we can love back in return, and that we care for one another, we try to meet each other's needs and so forth. But we have a family, and and I hope that you've taken some time this last week as we talked about that. One of the greatest commodities that Diedrich Bonhoeffer had, as we're kind of going through just a little bit of a glimpse into his life and living amidst difficult days, one of the greatest things that he believed he had was his church family. And uh, I don't know how a lot of people go through life without that. I'm just being honest. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times where I've watched the church be the church. And don't get me wrong, I know that there are a lot of churches that aren't acting like the church. And uh, that's unfortunate. And if we want to have an excuse to say, well, they're all hypocrites or they don't act like Jesus or whatever, you can find them. They're out there. But let's remember, the church is not the building, it's not the walls, it's the what? People inside who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if that relationship is good, you can have a great church family. If it's not so good and they're not walking with God, well, then you're going to see the result of that as well. But I'm thankful that we have a church family that cares for one another. And over the years, I've been you know, just greatly privileged to watch my church family take care of one another. Uh, I've watched people take care of medical bills and vehicle bills and breakdowns and sicknesses and illnesses. And not just financially, but oftentimes, many times, just with their time and their energies and their efforts. And you know, this person has a skill and they'll use it to help this person that needs that skill. Maybe it's replacing a window or putting a roof on their house. And I can remember various circumstances over the years where we'd start at 5 in the morning at a house and uh, by noon we'd have the old roof off and, you know, you know, 10 guys meeting at someone's house on a Saturday and by, by 3 o'clock they're putting a new roof on. And just the church helping out a family in the church. You know, we've, I've watched the church be the church. And as Dietrich Bonhoeffer was going through difficult days, he was encouraged by the fact that he had a church family that he could grow with, that he would go through difficult times with. And uh, so I hope you've had some opportunity to think through that a little bit this last week as we talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, maybe it's a challenge to you. Um, But as we continue in our study of life together, we learn another aspect of how Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived amidst difficult days. He lived amidst his fellow believers who together became students of the Word. Um, I've said many times, if you come to the church and you don't learn the Bible, there's only one reason. You don't want to. And I mean that with all sincerity and all authenticity, is that we have opportunities to become students of the Word. Uh, Last week we had an opportunity at 545 Men to go through some of uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. And it was just really cool because in in an hour we went through a little section of the page this big. That's it. An entire hour. We wonder why we only got through the first 800 pages in three years. You know, because there's no agenda. We're just learning together. 
And as we start talking about repentance and forgiveness and what God has done for us, well, there's a certain sense of personal thankfulness and gratitude because we get to have the privilege of having God's Word and be able to learn it and to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And so last week at 545, we got through a section this big. That's it. And so this next week, we're going to pick up where we left off and go again on Thursday at 545 in Systematic Theology. Then at 645, we have our regular men's Bible study where we have more men come and more guys get in the Word of God. Ladies at Wednesdays at 3 o'clock. We used to have, I mean, we have all kinds of opportunities to get in God's Word and to grow. And if you don't take advantage of it, it's only one, re- one reason. You don't want to. The opportunities are there. And if you learn to just be disciplined in studying God's Word, you'll realize how much fun it is, how exciting it is to get in God's Word and to be able to learn about Him and and apply it to our hearts and our lives. And this is exactly one of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer is so appreciated. I mean, think about it. He's living in Nazi Germany. There's all kinds of chaos in his world, just like there's chaos in our world. Listen, if you haven't been watching the news just a little bit, and as I said, I I go in spurts. There's days I want to just take a brick and throw it through the TV after what I'm seeing. I get so irritated with it, and then I catch myself getting irritated. I was like, i got to shut it off, got to walk away from it. But then you'll find certain key things that come up on the Facebook feed. And, you know, this last week, we had somebody who was actually imprisoned because they had church service. In Canada, there's a guy who said, you know, the government said in British Columbia, where he's at, that he wanted to have church. He said, this is my church family. We are a body of believers, a family of believers. And we want to come together and do church together as a body of believers. But the stipulation from the Canadian government is that they only can have 15% of capacity. Well, what's 15% of capacity? I mean, we're enjoying 50% capacity, is what they told us. But he said, you know what? I'm done with it. There's hardly any cases here. There's hardly any problems here. Because we're going to have church. And they put out an arrest warrant for him, and he ended up in jail. And he's in jail today, and they said they'll let him out if he promises to abide by the 15% capacity rule. And he said, I can't do it. Difficult days are going to come. There is a world around us that does not appreciate Christianity. There is a world around us that doesn't appreciate the fact that we have God's Word and we're standing on it. It's not going to get easier. I don't know when, if, how those circumstances will come, but I believe that they're going to be difficult. And one of the things that we have as we challenged each other last week is that we have one another in the body of Christ. And we ought to come together in the body of Christ to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to lift each other up, because this is what's going to get us through the difficult days. This is what got him through. And we need one another. He says on page 43 in his book, he says, For Christians, the beginning of the day should not be burdened with besetting concerns for the day's work. At the threshold of a new day stands the Lord who made it. Isn't that awesome? You can wake up in the morning and we say, Oh, good night. This is all the things we got to do today. And this is going to be a problem. And this is going to be a headache. And so-and-so is going to do this. What if we just woke up and said, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Because he says, At the threshold of every new day stands the Lord who made it. We woke up this morning with, with breath to, and, and air in our bodies to breathe and to live and to encourage one another and to bring to think and to reason and to encourage one another. And we ought to take advantage of that, right? We ought to come in here and encourage one another. We said it many times, there's chaos outside these walls. It should not be inside. We should be a family of love and encouragement and building each other up and lifting each other up during times of difficulty. So one of the first things that they did is they learned to start the day right. What do I mean by that? They came together as a body of believers as they were imprisoned, as they were under house arrest in various circumstances, and they came together revolving around the Word of God and getting up early to do that. 
And we see that throughout Scripture. This is a great opportunity that you and I have. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14, he says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. I don't know about you, but I'm learning as I get older that the importance of prayer is just unbelievable. We all need to become people of prayer. I didn't really take that to heart in my early days, my teenager years, my 20s, probably not even in my 30s. But the older I get, I realize how valuable prayer is. And the example that we have in Scripture says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. I don't know about you, but growing up in Minnesota, the only time we ever got up before daylight was to go deer hunting. I mean, we got up early, I mean, because that was just the rule. You had to get out hours before daylight. Yeah, it was important. That important. But at any rate, but you know, the Scripture says they got up before daylight to spend time with God. And they went to a solitary place. Folks, I can't stress it enough. You need to find a place that you can get alone with God. You need to. I, I, in fact, that's one of the very reasons I love deer hunting. I can sit up there and bring my Bible or listen to some preaching on my earphones and watch a deer right in front of me. I love it. I love being able to get out in creation and to get out where the, where the scenery is just gorgeous and just to contemplate how the God who made this. That's awesome. But are we in a pattern, are we in a habit of getting alone with God? And you know, many men throughout Scripture exemplified this. When I think of Abraham in Genesis chapter 19, verse 27, he says, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He had a place that he went to, and he started out his day by getting alone with God. I don't know about you, but I read that statement on a, on a wall years ago. It says, So far, Lord, I haven't... Uh, you know, I haven't yelled at anybody, I haven't screamed at anybody, I haven't, you know, have, I haven't done anything wrong towards anybody, I haven't hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm about to get out of bed. You know, are we starting our day out in a sense that I need God, where I'm dependent upon Him, and that we need to get alone with Him? That's how our days need to start. I wish I could say I do that every day, but I don't. My flesh gets in the way, and sometimes you just got to get up, get moving, it's like, oh, then you realize halfway through the morning, it's like, I haven't even taken a minute. I'm reminded how much I need that. In Joshua chapter 33, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Achaia Grove, and came to the Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. He got up early. He went out and worshipped the Lord. Are we in a habit that we're getting up and spending time worshipping the Lord? In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, we see the very example of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, here's the example of Jesus, getting up before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there He prayed. And if it was important for Jesus to get up early before the day started, before the daylight came upon Him, I wonder if it should not be important to us as well. Are we in a habit? I used to say this all the time. You know, God is not so concerned as when you do it, as long as you do it. I used to say that forever, and I still believe it. We should be spending time with God sometime in our day. We ought to dedicate a portion of our day to Him. But the reality is, I wonder how many of us are in the habit of spending time with God. And what I found in most of these passages, they went to a place. I think we need to have a place that we go to where we can get alone with God. I remember when our kids were real little, and I remember they were just so loud sometimes. Maybe your kids were never loud, but our kids are loud. Uh, I can remember thinking to myself, I'm going to go into the bathroom, and I'm just going to shut the door this much. 
Because by the fact that the light's not on and the door's open, they don't think anyone's in there. <laughs> yeah, it works, trust me. But I was in there, but they didn't know it because the light was off and the door was open. But it wasn't open enough far enough they could see me. I was hiding out. I wanted to get alone sometimes. It's hard to get alone sometimes. Those of you that have kids, now our kids are all grown now. And it's still trying to, hard to get alone sometimes. But the reality is we've got to make it a point. We've got to make it a desire to get alone. Find a place that you can get alone with God. If it was important to Jesus, it ought to be important to us. And so one of the ways that Dietrich Bonhoeffer encouraged his local little circle of, uh, of, of Christians was to get alone with God, to spend their mornings starting out in prayer with Jesus Christ. One way Dietrich Bonhoeffer survived amidst difficult days was to resort to the Psalms. For in them he saw the heart of Jesus. And as a church, they read and studied the Psalms for daily encouragement. In fact, God's Word reminds us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's important that we get alone with God so that we can admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want to read a little portion of, of his book here as I uh, have a couple times in this series. This is a little interesting thing that... Uh, he talks about the secret of the Psalter, the secret of the psalmist. I like what he says here. The New Testament laid emphasis upon speaking to yourselves in psalms and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms. From ancient times in the church, a special significance has been attached to the common use of psalms. In many churches to this day, the psalmist constitutes the beginning of every service of common worship. The custom has been largely lost and we must find our way back to its prayers the Psalter occupies a unique place in the Holy Scriptures. It is God's Word, and with few exceptions, the prayer of men as well. How are we to understand this? How can God's Word be at the same time prayer to God? Have you ever thought about it? God wants us to pray His Word back. And as they would come together, they would read through the Psalms, and then they would pray those Psalms back to God. But he gives some further explanation here. He said, the question brings with it an observation that is made by everybody who begins to use the Psalms as prayers. First, he tries to repeat the Psalms personally as his own prayer. But soon he comes upon a passage that he feels he cannot utter as his own personal petition. We recall, for example, the Psalms of Innocence, the Bitter, the Imprecatory Psalms, and also in part the Psalms of the Passion. And yet these prayers are words of the Holy Scripture which, believe, which a believing Christian cannot simply dismiss as outworn and obsolete as early stages of religion. One may have no desire to carpet the word of the Scriptures, and yet knows that he cannot pray these words. He can read and hear them as the prayer of another person, wonder about them, be offended by them, but neither can he pray them himself nor discard them from the Bible. He talks about the imprecatory prayers. Anybody know what an imprecatory prayer is? When you pray judgment on someone else? Say, well, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I say, yes, but I am a willing vessel. Use me if you need me. You know, <laughs> we want to get even with people who irritate us, right? And so I used, I remember when we were in college and somebody would do something, because I'm going to pray imprecatory prayers against you. And uh, we joke about it. But, you know, when you sit there and read through these Psalms and you see the judgment of God, and you say, well, I can't pray that prayer, you know that there's a just God who is always going to be a, a just God, and He's going to do what's right no matter what. And he goes on to say the practical expedient 
would be to say that any person in this situation should first stick to the Psalms he can understand and repeat. And then at the case of other Psalms, he should learn quite simply to let stand what is incomprehensible and difficult and turn it back again and again to what is simple and understandable. Are you taking the time to read the Psalms? We say that the Psalms is what? The heart and the mind of God. And as you read through the Psalms, you get to understand who God is and His love and His grace and His mercy. And even throughout the Psalms, you even get to read a little bit of the history of what He's done in the past as you read about the accounts of Exodus and so forth. And over and over, we get to see the mind of God and the heart of God coming out through the Psalms. And so He said, we as a body of believers in incarceration and under house arrest, we came together and we worshiped God together and we prayed the Psalms back to God together as we would read them. He goes on to say, uh, on page 46, one more thing I want to read. He says, The Psalter is the vicarious prayer of Christ for His church. Now that Christ is with the Father, the new humanity of Christ, the body of Christ on earth continues to pray His prayer to the end of time. This prayer belongs not to the individual member, but to the whole body of Christ. Only in the whole, Christ does the whole. Psalter become a reality, a whole which the individual can never fully comprehend and call his own. That is why the prayer of the Psalms belongs in a peculiar way to the fellowship. Even if a verse or a psalm is not one's own prayer, it is nevertheless the prayer of another member of the fellowship. So it is quite certainly the prayer of the true man of Jesus Christ and his body here on this earth. It's one of us, all of us, coming together, one another, praying back through the Psalms as we read them. And it becomes each of us a prayer for one another as we pray back the heart of God. And he says, the Psalter, we learn to pray on the basis of Christ's prayer. And he says, the Psalter is the great school of prayer. As we read the Psalms, he said, it teaches us not only the heart of God, but it teaches us how to pray. I don't know about you, but I've been in different circumstances where I've heard people either sing back the Psalms or pray back the Psalms. And boy, it's enlightening that God's Word teaches man how to pray by reading His Word. And one as we put one another first in the body of Christ, we begin to pray these psalms for one another. And he basically gives us three, three things that we learn from this. He says, first of all, we learn what prayer means. It means praying according to the Word of God. Isn't it amazing how often when we pray, we pray according to our, our own will, our own desires, our own thoughts, our own concerns. God says, yes, pray. Bring these things on our petitions to God, yes. But we ought to certainly pray the Word of God. Pray according to the Word of God. God, if it be your will, let these things come, right? We're not praying for our own will to be accomplished. It's not like we got this little genie ball and we say, God, you have to do this. We're saying, God, according to your will, according to your word, you answer these requests. So he goes on to say, it's on the basis of these promises. A Christian prayer takes its stand on the solid ground of the revealed word and has nothing to do with the vague, self-seeking vagaries. You know, there are so often that people say, well, I believe God's telling me this. Well, God's Word will never contradict what you think you should do. In other words, if I'm saying it's from God, it better be consistent with the Word of God. And so that's when I learned to pray according to the Word, when it's in consistency and congruency with His Word. Second, it says we learn from the prayer of the Psalms that we should pray. Not only that we pray according to the Word, but first of all, we ought to pray. The reality is we live in a day where everything's like microwaved. Microwave hot dogs, microwave burritos, microwave fast everything, Right? Do you realize that prayer takes time? Prayer takes time. It's not the 10 second prayer before you eat a meal. It's not the, oh, I'll pray for you, and you kind of go your own separate way and forget, out of sight, out of mind. 
If you actually learn to become a student of prayer, it takes time. I know that when I take the men's list out and I just pray for all the men in our church from top to bottom, oftentimes it will take us an hour, hour and a half to pray through the men of our church. It doesn't happen in three minutes. It doesn't happen in five minutes. But when you choose to pray, it takes time. We, we're, we're so often quick to give our time to you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and you know, leave it to Beaver on Me Channel, you know, whatever it is that you do. But we're so fast to give, or so quick to give our time to everything else, but do we give our time to God in prayer? He said the Psalms teach us that we ought to pray. So certain as it is, the scope of the prayer of the Psalms ranges far beyond the experience of the individual. Nevertheless, the individual prays in faith the whole prayer of Christ, the prayer of him who is true man and who alone possesses the full range of experiences expressed in the prayer. So as we begin to read through the Psalms, and that is one of the ways that Diedrich Bonhoeffer got through the difficult times was to pray together with the other believers. And then number three, he said there's one more thing. He says, third, the Psalms teach us to pray as a fellowship. Do we pray together? Yes, we ought to be pray, people who pray. We ought to be people who pray with one another. But we ought to pray as a fellowship. We ought to pray for one another in the body of Christ. We ought to be praying for one another. Over and over again, he says, the body of Christ is praying, and as an individual, one acknowledges that his prayer is only a minute fragment of the whole prayer of the church. He learns to pray the prayer of the body of Christ, and that lifts him above his personal concerns and allows him to pray selflessly. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, you know what, I don't care how things, difficult things get. I might be in prison. I might not be able to leave this room. But the reality is I can take my mind off me and my problems and my situation by praying for you. You ever heard the acronym for joy? J-O-Y. Jesus, others, yourself. When we put others ahead of ourselves, our problems become minimized. When we put other people ahead of ourselves, we don't dwell on our own situations, our own problems. He said, well, we, how we got together through, how we got through these difficult times was to pray for one another. And in praying for that one another, we became selfless. Listen, when difficult times come, you're going to have one of two focuses. Well, maybe three. You're going to deal with the situation, and you're going to let the situation become too great. Then you're going to worry about, well, how it affects me. Or we can turn it around and say, God, you're in control, and I'm going to pray for everyone else to get through this. It's a choice. How are we going to respond to the things that God allows in our life? They chose to get in the Word, to get through reading through the Psalms, by praying back the Psalms, singing the Psalms, and so forth. And as they would read from the Psalms, they put into practice 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. It says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You know, think about that just for a moment. God's Word tells us until he comes, we're to give attention to, energy to, involvement in, reading, exhortation, and doctrine. I say, oh, Pastor, that's boring. That's boring. Have you tried it? Have you tried it sometime? I mean, think about it. I know I was a little bit odd. In junior high, I'm sitting there reading Matthew Henry's commentary in junior high. It's like, yeah, no, I, I don't know another kid that did that. I was weird. But the reality is, it's so much fun when you can open a book and start to read 
And God just begins to speak to you and teach you from his word. And, and then through, through the help of some of these other great men who have written, they learn to categorize and put things together and lump them together and we can discuss them and talk about them and apply them to our hearts and our lives. It's so much fun. We used to have this uh, thing when we were in high school. I, I, our youth group, we had a big youth group, and it was called, we had proteins on Wednesday night. It was the name of our group. But we had these sword drills, and we did these games and everything else, and one of the sections of the game night amongst us teenagers was oddities. Oddities. And so what your job was to do is our youth pastor would read a statement from, coming from God's Word, and you had to quick find it. And the first one to find it and stand up, you have to read the answer, of course, you got a point for your team. I know, it sounds crazy. Where in the Bible did a man have a tent peg put through his head? <laughs> yeah, oddities. Where in the Bible did you see an axe head floating? Yeah, there's some weird things. You never know unless you become a student of the Word. All kinds of things. Where is the longest word in the Bible found? Mahershala Bashahaz. I don't remember where it's at. I think it's in Esther. Eight? I don't know. Look up later. But, you know, there's all kinds of things. You know what? The Bible can be a fun book. I made this statement a year ago. Pastors live with unmet expectations. You say, you have unmet expectations? Yes. And it's for you guys. If you would make yourself a student of the Word, you would find just how... Find out how much, just how much fun and excitement you can have reading the Word of God. But some of you never will, and you miss out. You miss out on the blessing. You miss out on knowing God and drawing closer to Him and knowing more of His Word and how to apply it to your hearts and your lives. The reality is, God's Word is, as He put it in page 50, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Holy Scripture is more than a watchword. It's more than light for today. It's God's revealed word for all men for all times. It's God's revealed word for all men for all times. This book will never grow stagnant. The book will always be practical. It will always be culturally relevant. It doesn't need anything added to it. It doesn't need anything taken away. It's complete. And if we would learn it and apply it, your life would be so much better for it. And you could learn more about Jesus, more about God, and what he has for you if you would just become a student of it. He said, not only did we just read the Psalms, but he said we read consecutive books. In fact, he says this on page 53. I like what he says this. Verse 53, or page 53 says, Consecutive reading of biblical books forces everyone who wants to hear to put himself or to allow himself to be found where God has acted once and for all for the salvation of men. We become a part of what, what once took place for our salvation. Forgetting and losing ourselves, we too pass through the Red Sea, through the desert, across the Jordan into the Promised Land. With Israel, we fall into doubt and unbelief and through punishment and repentance experience again God's help and faithfulness. All this is not mere reverie, but holy, godly reality. We are torn out of our own existence and set down in the midst of a holy history of God on earth. There God dealt with us, and there He still deals with us. Our needs and our sins in judgment and in grace it is not that God is the spectator and sharer of our present life, however important that is, but rather that we are the reverent listeners and participants in God's action in the sacred story, the history of Christ on earth. And only insofar as we are there, it is God with us today. 
I mean, can you imagine that just for a moment? Being there and just being able to put yourself in the stories that you read from God's Word. And be able to learn that, yes, God did judge. But that God also offered forgiveness and grace and, and, and hope. And all these things that we can learn from by putting ourselves... You know, I, 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 let me just say, I'm not that smart. I'm really not. Uh, I, I, I keep the amens down, but I, I'm not smart. There are a lot of pastors in a lot of bigger churches that do six this and seven that and four this and three this and, you know, these nice little packaged programs and sermon series and, you know, they got the whole stage set up and propped up as, you know, to, to go along with the sermon series that they're doing and pff, I, I, my brain would be fried just trying to come up with the next series. I can't do that. My brain doesn't operate that way. Here's the way my brain works. Go through the books. You know, over the years, you have all kind, I've learned that there's all kinds of people in every type of church. There are people who go through difficulties and struggles and life is full of drama and they got this problem and that problem. And, you know, I know, I've known pastors who will counsel somebody on Monday and then they're preaching about it on Sunday. And even though they didn't say the name, everybody knows who they're talking about and everything else. Here's what I found. If I just go through the book, nobody can ever accuse me. Well, you jumped on that topic because you knew what was going on in my life. No, I didn't. It just happened to be the next passage in line. It just came, and that's the privilege we have as God's children, is that we get to put ourselves into the story of God's Word. And it doesn't matter where you're at, somebody's going to be in that story. You might not be in it this week, but you might be in it next week. And it has nothing to do with what pastor believes or thinks. It's what the Word of God says, and you just happen to be in the next text. Isn't that a blessing? I don't have to come up with six this or seven that. Just read through the Word. It'll address every issue that we encounter in life. It really will. If we believe that God's Word is complete and thorough and it gives us everything that we need to get through life. So not only did they read the Psalms and pray together and sing the Psalms back together, they read consecutive books together. And the more that they focused on reading God's Word, the more they were able to handle everything that was taking place in the midst of struggle and persecution and difficulty. And then they sang hymns together. In Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 6, says, They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Over and over, they sang the hymns back. I don't know about you, but I love the hymns. I don't ever want to get rid of them. I want to sing both the hymns and the newer courses. I think they both have value. But the hymns are rich in theology and doctrine. The hymns are rich in teaching biblical principle. Sometimes I'm afraid that the next generation won't know them and they'll miss out on the blessing of knowing them. But we need to keep both of them in our our praise and our worship to God. And then they prayed together. In difficult times, they came to the point where they learned to pray together. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. They learn to pray with one another. He says, where two or three are gathered, God says, there am I in the midst. When we come together and pray together, God is at work. I want that. So many churches across America, and let me just say this before I jump on them, we're included. But churches all across America have gotten rid of the prayer, prayer service. 
And someone said, well, why did that happen? Because the people voted with their feet which services they wanted. Did you catch that? People vote with their feet what services they want. And I know that even when I came here 10 years ago, there's only two or three people that show up on prayer night. That's it. So we readjust, and we have prayer at different times. It may be that the Wednesday night prayer service that was dedicated to that time wasn't working, so we find different ways to do it. But I'm absolutely convinced of this thought. We don't do it enough. We don't do it enough. Yeah, we come together on men's Bibles Sunday night, we pray for a few things, we take some requests, and that's all good. Some of us come over on Saturday nights and pray, and that's good. But when do we pray together corporately as a body? See, one of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer did to overcome the difficulties and the hardships of the day that they were living in prison is that they prayed together. And once again, as we pray together, we're taking our focus off my issue, putting it on someone else, and saying, God, work and convene and intervene on their behalf. God, you, you do what only you can do. When do we pray together? I'm convinced we need to begin to pray together even more and more. If we are going to overcome... See, we can get ticked off about everything that's happening outside these walls. We really can. I get irritated. I see what's going on in government. I get irritated. I just want to come unglued. My flesh wants to handle stuff, right? Anybody anybody else? It irritates me. But I've said it a thousand times. I can't pick up my phone and call the president. Dude, do you know what you're doing right now? I don't have a cell phone number. No matter how hard I try to email, it's not going to go anywhere. I can't say, hey... Hey, it's just I stop over on the way home from work. Pennsylvania Avenue. Not happening, right? What is it that we can do? Remind me. Pray. It's hard. Because we don't want to just pray. We want to take action. We want to do something. We want, we want everyone around us to know what they're thinking. To know what I'm thinking. They, 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 they got to know what I'm thinking. Ain't going nowhere because they're never going to hear you. God hears us. And if we want to change the culture that we live in, if we want to have an impact in the world that we live in, let's learn that we've got to be people of prayer. Prayer will accomplish far more than what you and I think you and I can accomplish. So are we willing to become a people of prayer? Nobody can make you do it. It's hard work. Just taking five minutes of prayer. I was talking to someone just yesterday. He said, man, I, I, I pray and I think I'm covering everything and I look up and it's been five minutes. So then he goes back and reads some more and then says, oh, wait a minute, I just, just triggered a thought and I'm going to pray some more. Another five minutes. And then I read a little bit more and, oh yeah, some more thoughts. And pray. However it takes you to pray, pray. Become a person of prayer. Let God deal with the things that you can't control, which is almost everything anymore told Paul this week, I said, I feel like I'm so out of control of everything in life. So many things that I want to control, I can't. I don't care how much money you've got, it ain't going to buy you good health. I don't care how much money you got, it is not going to buy you true peace and joy. I don't care what the circumstances are, you can't control so many things in life. So why not trust the one who can? Pray to the one who can. 
This is how Dietrich Bonhoeffer got through the difficult days he was living in. Nazi Germany. We're not there yet. Probably should say yet. But what if it does come? Will you be committed to spending time with God? Committed to spending time with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Committed to being a student of the word and applying it to your hearts and your lives? Praying for others? I know I'm crazy. My kids think I'm crazy. Anybody that's been on a road trip with me knows I'm crazy. I blast the music and just scream out. I am crazy when it comes to getting in my truck and just listening to music and singing along with it. Why? Because it takes our mind off everything else that goes on in life. The things I can't control. Just get close to him. He's the one that, only one that can control these things, right? So here's the commitment that I would challenge you to make before God. Not just saying, hey, I'm okay, I'm fine, I, I got it, we'll be okay. Okay, if that's status quo, content, happy with that, so be it. It's your choice. But I hope we never get to the place where status quo is just okay. That we will draw close to one another in the body of Christ. That we will pray for one another in the body of Christ. That we will worship together in the body of Christ. And pray for one another as never before. That's the one thing that we get to control is how much time you spend in prayer. That's the one thing you get to control. Assuming God gives you time and breath and energy. That's the one of the things we can't control is to spend time in prayer. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we're grateful for what you've done for us. We're grateful for the local body of believers that are here in this church, in this facility. Lord, we're grateful for how you have worked through many people in this body, Lord, to, to be a picture of the body of Christ, to meet needs when needs are made known, to encourage one another when one's been discouraged, to step up to the plate to fill a void or a need when one's been made known. There are many people, Lord, who are a picture of Christ, and we're thankful for that. But Lord, I pray that you help every one of us to have that desire, to be used of you, to be a truly a picture of Christ into a world that may never darken the door of a church building. They may never step through the doors of a church facility. But Lord, we can be the church out and about because the church goes to the grocery store and the church talks to their neighbor across the fence and out in the driveway and the church goes to work every day. Lord, I pray that we would truly be a picture of Christ that we would be the church in a world that needs to see Christ at work. So Lord, I pray that we as a body would recommit ourselves to being students of the word, that we would rise up early to start our day in worship with you, Lord. That we would truly be people who read through the Psalms so we can know your heart and your mind. That we would together as a body not only, Lord, sing together, but encourage one another, lift each other up, Lord, that we would commit to praying for one another. Lord, help us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. Lord, all of us will fail, Lord, apart from your strength and your grace working in and through us. Lord, in and of ourselves, Lord, we're not worthy. But Lord, I thank you for how you do work. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just ask for a moment as we do each and every week. 
you have an opportunity to respond to the things that you've heard and how would God have you to respond? Maybe you're here this morning and say, well, hey, I need to be in the church. I need to do my part. Maybe God's challenging you to, to be a little less selfish and a little bit more selfless to be the body. Difficult days are coming. I remember last February <laughs> when all this pandemic started. Some of you couldn't find food, and I said, ah, I've got extra, you can have it. Some of you need toilet paper, we shared. Something so crazy and funny as that, but yet is a picture of the church being the church, helping one another in need. Maybe you need to take that step and say, hey, I need to be part of the church. I would just challenge you. That's your heart, that's your desire. Take a moment and pray. Right there where you're at. No one's looking around. Just take a moment and pray. Say, Lord, help me be the church. Help me be a picture of Christ to a world that's, that needs to see Jesus. Help me be a person of prayer, Lord. Help me to pray for our government. God knows they need it. And our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, they need it. Ask God to give you a love for them, to pray for them. Just take a moment and pray. Say, God, you have my life. Use me as you see fit. Ask God for opportunities to encourage someone else around you. Just take a moment, pray. Talk to God. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the very things that we struggle with. You know the very things that are difficult for us. But Lord, you said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have the Holy Spirit living within us as your children. I pray, God, that we would draw on that strength, that ability, Lord, to, to just lay everything at your feet and to trust you completely to do what we cannot do ourselves. Might we learn from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lord, going through difficult days and living in Nazi Germany, Germany Lord, Lord, I don't know if we'll end up being just like that. I don't know if it'll get worse. I don't know if it'll be better. I, I have no idea. But, Lord, I know you know the future. But I do know, Lord, that in difficult days, we have you, we have your word, we have each other. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to, to rely on you and your word and each other as never before. God, be with each one that's here today, Lord. I ask, God, that you would speak to their hearts and do a work in all of us, Lord, to draw us close to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.